Welcome to Tell Us About It, Victim Research Convos, a podcast from the Center for Victim Research with support from the Office for Victims of Crime. On each episode of Tell Us About It, we talk to researchers and practitioners about their work, the tools being built for use in the field, and how we can work together to build an evidence base for victim services. I'm Susan Howley, and today we're talking with Barry Rosenbluth and Barbara Ball about their work on Expect Respect at SAFE in Austin, Texas. Barry, can you tell us about your position and your history at SAFE? Hi. Um, yes, I am the Senior Director of the Expect Respect Program at the SAFE Alliance. I'm beginning my 30th year here at the agency. When I first started, I was a counselor working with women in our emergency shelter and non-residential center and uh, discovered early on that so much of the abuse they were experiencing had begun in adolescence. Thank you. And Barbara, can you tell us about your role at the SAFE Alliance and with Expect Respect? Sure. Um, So currently, I work as the Director for Evaluation and Training, but I didn't start out that way. So 15 years ago, I started facilitating support groups for girls in middle and high schools and then worked uh, with elementary students as well. And then had the opportunity to get more engaged with the research, um, with a CDC study that we'll uh, soon describe more, and uh, grew into the role of uh, being the evaluator um, for the program. Thank you. Barry, could you give us a quick overview of Expect Respect? Sure. Expect Respect is a program of the Safe Alliance. We're a nonprofit working to stop abuse for everyone. Uh, the program works in schools to promote safe and healthy relationships for youth and to prevent dating and sexual violence. It's a comprehensive, trauma-informed program with multiple components. Um, We are working with young people who are at increased risk for victimization and perpetration of violence due to prior violence exposure, or they're in current abusive relationships with peers or dating partners. And uh, in schools, we offer support groups for those students uh, throughout the school year, curriculum-based sessions that teach skills for healthy relationships. In addition to our support group intervention, we offer youth leadership programs at the campuses, as well as through a summer youth leadership academy, uh, which is an exciting partnership with our city summer youth employment program. So students are paid for a summer job to become prevention activists at the Safe Alliance. We also uh, partner with theater organizations in town to provide educational theater performances and productions that are youth-led and um, address current and relevant issues in, in teens' lives. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, the scope of the work we do. We also uh, train school personnel on responding effectively to incidents of bullying and sexual harassment, dating abuse or sexual assault among students. We uh, like to speak with parent groups about their role in supporting healthy teen relationships. And um, we'd have a lot of collaborative uh, projects with other partners in the community, bringing the topic of healthy, safe relationships into other settings. Wow, so many great aspects to this program. I mean, I've been hearing about Expect Respect for many years, and every every time I learn something new about it, this theater program sounds terrific. What did Expect Respect look like 
in the early days when it um, and when did it get started, Barry? In 19, late 1980s, some of the counselors here at the organization, which at that time was called the Center for Battered Women, were providing presentations in high school classrooms. And sometimes students, uh, after the presentations, would come up and say, what if this is happening to me? Where can I go? Um, is help available? We began to uh, work with school counselors in some of our local high schools who were interested in having support groups on campus for for girls. We modeled this after the work we were doing at the time with adult women, um, which was peer support. And we found that this was equally effective with teens. They came forward in greater numbers. We were able to um, obtain some local grants to expand that program and to begin writing lesson plans and um, partnering with our University of Texas researchers to look at the effects of those groups on the students. So um, you mentioned partnering with the University of Texas researchers. Was evaluation part of your program from the get-go, or uh, when did you start bringing evaluation into your work? It really was part of the program from the get-go because we knew, for one, that we needed to demonstrate the effects of this program if we wanted to expand it. Of course, the counselors had no shortage of anecdotal information that students were feeling empowered, they were speaking up for themselves, they were seeking help, they were getting out of abusive relationships, but this was... um, you know, we needed to demonstrate quantitatively what the impact of the services were. Right. So how did you how did you do that? What did the what did the first evaluations look like? Very simple pre and post tests. Um, we looked at measures at the time that we thought would be changing for the girls in the groups. I remember this was a long time ago, but we looked at self-esteem, we looked at social support, we looked at measures of well-being, and I'm not sure we had really any conclusive results at the time, but we knew that the process of evaluation was important for our program development and uh, sustainability. With those first evaluations, did you use internal or external evaluators? It was really the, the, the team of internal staff and our partnerships with researchers at the University of Texas and also with our city um, health department that were interested in helping us evaluate our program, not only our support groups, but educational presentations that we continued to provide in the classroom. Um, we worked as a team. There were We were all interested in knowing what was changing as a result of our program. Barbara, your program has been evaluated by the CDC. How did that come about? And how did that help you all at Expect Respect? We had multiple CDC grants, actually, that helped us on the way to evaluation. Um, One was was as early as 1997, where we looked at um, elementary school programs to prevent sexual harassment 
and then thinking in the future that by doing so, we would also prevent um, later intimate partner violence. So that was uh, a very early grant. Um, I think the big breakthrough for us was an empowerment evaluation um, that the CDC designed and released in 2003. And what they did is they uh, looked in uh, the communities for programs that had capacity to engage further in evaluation. So what Barry described just before, that um, she had always worked with evaluators, um, basically from the get-go of the program, put us in the position to, you know, be one of the four programs chosen for that empowerment evaluation. And um, so over multiple years, this entailed really intensive work and training for us to look at qualitative and quantitative ways of measuring prevention programming. And I think um, what was really, really important for us was a qualitative component of this project. So we um, interviewed our support group participants at the end of the program. And uh, we're, it was a pretty big undertaking. Uh, we are working in uh, 20 plus schools, have about 40 groups a year on average. So we interviewed a good part of those groups, um, tape recorded, transcribed, coded interviews with uh, support of the researchers, and we learned a lot from it. Um, what we learned uh, was that the boys and girls participating in our groups, and these are, as Barry mentioned before, these are um, young people who have been exposed to violence in their lives, they're really high risk, they're struggling in their relationships, and they're participating in our 24-week support group program. Um, so what these students told us is that two things counted the most for them. One was to learn how to make their relationships better. They really wanted to learn the skills. And number two was the group experience itself. Um, so it was not about something didactic. Uh, one of them would say, well, I knew that all before, I just never bothered to think about it. So what this did is confirm for us that we needed to engage them in an experience. It needed to be having a supportive group was critical for these students that we were trying to reach and that we needed to really focus on skills. Um, up until then, uh, you know, a lot of the work was based on worksheets and was uh, very educational, um, more didactic in some ways. And we still do those components, right? But that's not what made the change for them. So um, from there, we started um, our first big curriculum project, uh, and that was about 10 years ago. We published it, I think, in 2008. So that's the curriculum that has been out now. And currently we're working on, on the newest version, on a new version of it. Um, and then we also continue to um, do more quantitative evaluation. And I think because we are running so many groups and have so many participants every year, we were actually able to, um, with support from the CDC, to design rather complex um, pre and post tests, um, testing out different scales, looking like what kind of questions resonate with the young people? Where do we see changes from pre to post? And we tried a number of different things. We looked at their um, uh, gender-based attitudes about gender norms. We looked at justification of violence. 
Um, we looked at general levels of aggression. We included scales for measuring uh, health relationship skills. We looked at their perpetration of victimization um, with teen dating violence. So a, a lot of different um, factors. And um, we're able in, in, a, in a pilot study to show some positive results. Um, so that was an uncontrolled evaluation just um, in, as part of our regular programming, um, providing pre and post tests. And uh, we were able to show some, uh, some positive outcomes. So the CDC then picked up uh, and, uh, you know, basically um, offered us the opportunity uh, for a um, rigorous and controlled outcome evaluation. Uh, we started in uh, 2011. It was a four or five year process. Uh, one year was a pilot uh, for our project and then three years worth of uh, data collection. That's great. So Barry and Barbara, what, what excites you the most about what you are learning from this evaluation? Is it some of the early information you're learning about outcomes or is it about effective strategies? Well, there are a lot of components, right? We heard it was very important to hear from our participants what mattered to them. I think that that is probably the piece of information that is really, really critical for any program development and, and for informing how you implement a program. Um, we also did um, interviews with our facilitators. That was part of the uh, CDC outcome study. That was really, we learned a lot from that about what groundwork do we need to do in every school to effectively support the program so that our support groups run well, right? We need to get referrals. We need some support from the school. What are we giving back to the school? So there are lots of questions, lots of things we learned through that. And then of course, the, the outcome study really, you know, ask the hard questions, you know, can we measure, uh, are we measuring um, changes? Um, is the program working as intended? And we're always trying also to refine our measures to, you know, get a better sense of what um, is, is happening in the groups. Right. What kind of outcomes are you finding? Well, in the um, CDC-funded study, which is certainly the most robust and rigorous um, piece of evaluation we have done so far. We found that uh, for all participants, there was a significant reduction in general aggression toward peers. And we measured that um, through, it's called reactive and proactive aggression. So in other words, it's aggression in the moment toward a peer, but also um, aggression that would probably fall under the label of bullying. So anything that where uh, aggression is used to control and manipulate another person. So um, there was a significant reduction in that, which I think is very important. Right, so am I, am I hearing that correctly, that then the outcomes that you were seeing went beyond the dating violence that was the initial focus of this project? Yes, it did. And uh, we, of course, also looked at uh, teen dating violence, uh, victimization and perpetration, and that includes emotional, physical, and sexual violence. And there we saw that for the uh, boys in our program, there were incremental declines in that, which I think is very, very important. We did not find the same outcomes for the girls on those measures, um, which has been puzzling since the program started for girls. And we 
actually would have thought that uh, we had better outcomes with girls than boys. So it was, we were thrilled to see that we can, we really make that difference um, in the boys' lives and continuously trying to figure out what we can do to um, support the girls in, in different ways. I wonder what sorts of evaluative questions are occurring to you now to explore girls' experience and whether their lack of a better outcome might actually be a difference in willingness to report, for example. Yes, there are always questions like that, right? You always need to reflect on the measures, on how um, boys or girls respond differently uh, to measures. Um, There might also be relationship dynamics that are different because we did see for boys and girls that their general uh, aggressiveness in in relationships decreased, right? So, um, you know, we're asking ourselves what's different for dating relationships, right? Do we see not the same as in their peer relationships? I don't have a conclusive answer for you at this point because it's so complicated what all goes into students' responses to any of your questions. Um, You know, we may need to do some more qualitative work to um, dig a little deeper um, and have a better understanding of the meaning of it. Well, this is the challenge with prevention evaluation, I think it's, there are so many questions about how do they even understand the question at the baseline versus after a 24 week program. So we're struggling with, with those challenges as well, but I'm also excited about the new opportunity to look at school level outcomes. We um, have a data sharing agreement with our local school district. And we will, this coming year, be able to look at rates of disciplinary offenses, academic performance, absences um, for the students participating in our program and compare that to non-participants. So I'm excited to see whether we're having um, outcomes in that area. Right. This is exciting. And, you know, to me, negative or unexpected results are not bad, right? Because it's always gives you a step forward. I always say with with science, even bad news is good news because you learn something that's like, oh, okay, now we know this, or now we now we want to now we know what direction we should take our question in the future, or we've opened up all of these new areas to look at. We are total agreement with you on that. So for for quite a while after through the CDC evaluation and after we focus very strongly on, on gender norms and uh, gender differences and how different attitudes toward violence or justification of violence. Um, more recently, we've uh, retooled a little bit, and I don't have results yet, but I'm really curious about it, to think more about the um, emotional and mental health aspects. Um, because mental health and violence prevention have evolved so separately. Yet in the lives of the young people that we're working with, right, because they have been exposed to violence and adversity and stress and they experiencing trauma all along, we're really merging the two fields, right? I mean, um, and we, we're doing this or we have slowly been doing this really over the years and we're strongly addressing some of the um, mental health components without making this a mental health or counseling program, but kind of really thinking at how can we help our participants um, 
regulate their emotions better? How can we help them cope better? How can we educate them on trauma and how that may play out in their everyday reactions to situations? So there's so many layers of this that, um, and maybe that will actually support the girls more so that they are in a space where they can make decisions and choices um, and not be as reactive in that trauma space um, that they're usually living in, right? So we're working hard on that and uh, just designed a new uh, baseline survey, which I think was relevant to the students based on the responses I've seen. You, you can tell right away, right? When you <laughs> look at, at their, how students respond to a survey, you know, have they actually even considered the questions or are they just glossing over it? So I'm hopeful that somehow we may be tapping into something that is relevant that perhaps we haven't looked at as much and that that might also tell us more about what's going on differentially for boys and girls. That's great. Now, there are not all that many programs that have the luxury of having an in-house evaluator like you all do. Barb, that's just a terrific role that you play there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the benefits of having an in-house evaluator? How do the two of you work together? Well, I'll start off with this one. We work very closely together. The program director has to value evaluation and has to see it as part of their job. For me, I, I need to hold the integrity of the evaluation as a priority and, and know that all results are good results because the purpose of the evaluation is to help us understand the impact we're having and how we can improve. And that should be the role of the program director. We're working together really closely because I'm also um, intimately involved with program development. So a lot what we find through the evaluation and the questions that are being raised that we just discussed, they kind of flow back into how can we actually improve the program. So I think the great part about having an evaluator in-house is that you can do that feedback cycle really directly, right? So at the end of the year, when we have our pre and post data and I am able to kind of pull a report together, you know, I'll present to the, to the team and we'll talk about why uh, we have those findings or why we're successful in one area but not in the other. When I'm looking at survey instruments and I'm trying to shift some things or try something new, I'll vet it with the team. So it's like a constant conversation um, and the whole team is assisting with implementing surveys or sometimes entering survey data. So it's it's not a separate, it's not entirely separate role and certainly not, you know, very different from an outside evaluator. It's a huge asset to the program. And I am very protective of having this position in my department because somebody like Barbara with these skills is in high demand in any organization. And I don't want her to be spread too thin because I know how much time and effort it really takes to do the, the level of evaluation and program development she's doing in, in our program. So I, I caution other people who have uh, th this resource on their team to really you know, protect that because people can get called into doing lots of different things, particularly when they have 
high level of skills and are uh, that are needed in so many ways. That's wonderful. Barry, what's next for Expect Respect? Uh, what's next is our program manual being published. We're excited to launch that. Uh, we offer training around the country for other communities that would like to replicate some of the strategies we've uh, developed here, and, and we can help them customize the program to their needs, to their who their partners are and what setting they're in. We enjoy doing that and um, have uh, I look forward to doing more of that with the new program manual. We also need to continue to fund the, the programming here locally. And as our program grows, that gets harder and harder to do. So we do a lot of grant writing. We need to partner with a lot of other organizations so that we can stay current with all of the new influences and directions in the field. Barbara, what's next for the evaluation focus? And, you know, a thought occurs as people pick up this program and implement it around the country. Will you be guiding their evaluation or will their evaluations have any connection to you all at in Austin? That's a really good question. I always make our instruments available to anybody who emails or calls. And, and that happens quite frequently. We don't have currently any formal agreements with uh, other sites to more rigorously evaluate what they are doing and maybe um, put the data together. That can be very challenging because implementation can vary so much from one site to another. That's one of the reasons we're not doing that currently, but we're definitely sharing the instruments that we have. What we're doing and we're really, really excited about is that we are um, working with Dr. Liz Miller, who got a uh, grant through the CDC to replicate and evaluate Expect Respect with middle school students in the Pittsburgh area. Um, so we're uh, consulting on that grant and we're really, really excited to see the program being used um, in another uh, geographic area um, and with the middle school students. And we're really excited um, to say that she's evaluating the program. On another note, as I mentioned earlier, we're really curious about looking into the connection between mental health promotion, emotional well-being, and um, violence prevention. Um, there's so much conversation about mental health in, in a relationship to school violence. So I think there is a lot of work to be done that's, um, that's very needed. And so hopefully we can um, contribute to that area a little bit more. That's all fantastic. Barry, there's a lot of pressure from funders and others about outcomes measurement. What lessons have you learned at Expect Respect? As a program director... I know that there are so many um, requirements from different funding sources for different outcomes and indicators. And this can make uh, the job of the program director very complicated, <laughs> as well as the implementers of the program who are needing to collect so many different pieces of data in different ways for different funders. And I just think it's, it's really important to determine what outcomes you think are changing and to try to write those same indicators into grants. I think we spend a lot of time unnecessarily trying to track a lot of different outcomes and indicators that may not 
be what we really need to know or what we think are changing, but we are required to for various funders. It helps tremendously to have a core set of variables that you measure consistently um, just to consolidate some of the evaluation and administrative tasks that are involved in running a program. Yeah, and I, I could add to that. So we've talked a lot about evaluation of expect respect, and I just want to clarify that um, we've talked about one program component of expect respect and doing that, that's the support groups. And I think the reason that we focused our evaluation on that program component is that it was the first one to be manualized, right? We have a 24 session curriculum that has existed for a long time, uh, prior to even to the 2008 publication of a program manual, and it has existed consistently um, over time and, and, of course, has grown and developed and become much richer and deeper. Um, but it is, it is a curriculum or it's a program component that is um, hard to evaluate but possible to evaluate because it has a set framework and also because we, we consistently have uh, a high number of schools participating and we have consistently between two and 300 students every year. And that's just an average who complete a baseline survey. So we have a high number of participants, right? In that program. So we actually can evaluate it and it makes sense to put resources and evaluation behind it. We have other program components um, that are also very, very important and very dear to us, but they're not that easy to evaluate because, for instance, the youth leadership programs have to be flexible and creative. They vary in length. They're used determined. They, they have a different form and shape uh, every year. Um, you know, some work with educational theater. The others create media projects. Some are three hours long and some need for 100 hours, right? There's so much variability. It's much harder to have a rigorous evaluation of a program that by nature needs to be flexible. Now, that's not being said that we don't evaluate those programs, but we do it in a different way, right? Sometimes we may decide um, an audience feedback or a participant feedback form is really all that's warranted. And because it, it does not make sense to do a pre and post test um, it, it, under certain circumstances. There are other leadership programs that are more structured and more consistent over time where we're also doing pre and posts. I guess what I'm saying is you really need to look at what's the nature of my program, what makes sense in terms of the resources I put in, and what are the questions that are really important to ask. And then as Barry said, so we have multiple different program components. We try to streamline somehow the questions that we are asking. We have a core set of questions we ask of everyone. And those are the simplest questions, the feedback questions. So then our grant reporting has become easier because we can include those same questions and we can compare outcomes across different program components. So that was, um, I think that was a really important step to align um, evaluation of, of different kinds, but, but regardless, we align it across different program components. Barry, what would you say that your school partners are excited about right now with Expect Respect? Right now, they're excited about seeing our educational theater performances. 
Um, this is a different component of the Expect Respect program. We um, offer theater productions that are developed by youth for youth audiences uh, at the middle school level and at the um, high school level. We work with college level actors to engage students in dialogue in the classroom using a theater for dialogue approach. And these are very well received. They're very interactive. They stay very fresh and current with the issues that teens are dealing with in their lives online with their friends, with their phones. And um, I think that's probably what schools are most excited about right now. We're also launching a consent campaign with stickers and posters and a social media contest, and that's generating some, some buzz as well. It is so good to hear about a program that's been demonstrated to make a difference in reducing violence in the lives of young people. And great to see how evaluation and measurement has been part of the development of Expect Respect. Barry and Barbara, thank you both so much for sharing your work with us today. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Us About It. If there are research or practice experts you'd like us to interview or research tools you'd like us to feature on this podcast, email us at podcasts at victimresearch.org. Tell Us About It is a production of the Center for Victim Research, funded by the Office for Victims of Crimes Vision 21 Initiative through Cooperative Agreement Number 2016-XVGXK006. The Office for Victims of Crime is part of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs. However, the points of view and opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the host and expert contributors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice.